0: Please open your Bibles to the book of Exodus and we spent the last 17 Sundays looking at the 10 commandments and I'm going to suggest that that study would run to or ran to around 10 hours or so and now it's time to move on to the 21st chapter from the book of Exodus. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. This is to do with civil and ceremonial aspects of the Ten Commandments. And we are way back in the Old Testament, of course, dealing with the Jews under the law. And most of this material have almost no application to anybody living today. But we have to read these verses because this is what we've been doing for the last 15 months. Now, these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. Slavery is one of the most contentious subjects in scripture. Sooner or later, if you speak to unsaved people, they will run to the scripture and say, but what about slavery? How can you condone it? And this is always very interesting to me, because when I speak to unsaved people on the street, they will have a lot to say about, for example, homosexuality abortion or the transgender movement and if you criticize such movements they will say but who are you to judge how dare you judge us and yet those same people when they read a piece of scripture like this become very intolerant very judgmental and now they are the bigots but here 21 1 and 2 these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them jehovah speaking if thou buy if you buy an hebrew servant a jewish servant not a slave all your bibles Post-1880, change this to slave, but the King James used the term servant, and I appreciate there was a fine line, there was a delineation between slave and servant. Six years he shall serve. It's like a contract, almost. Six years he will serve, and in the seventh, he should go out free for nothing. He's paid his dues, if you will, and one of the reasons why slavery was permitted back in the ancient world and picked up in the Old Testament and repeated in the New Testament was, first of all, there was no welfare system. Back in the day, if you didn't have a trade, if you didn't have the entrepreneurial gene, if you weren't able to make it on your own, how would you get by? How would you get by? You would sink. You would go under. In the UK, we have the basic welfare system, which takes care of people on a low income. But we also have a civil welfare system, the civil list, which you hear nothing about. And the civil list is for the royal family, and they live very comfortably off the state, but you hear almost nothing, nothing whatsoever whatsoever when it comes to the civil list. But go back to biblical times. How would you make it? How would you survive? And one of the reasons, and one of the ways to survive, and one of the reasons why the Lord would allow this to continue under the law, and also in the New Testament, in the tiny book of Philemon, or as Americans say Philemon, was to allow slavery to exist, but it was legislated. It was legislated. Look at verse 3. If he come in by himself, he should go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife should go out with him. It's a pretty fair deal. A husband and wife meet a slave owner or vice versa. The slave owner says, I will, I will, I will give you 10 denarii each or 5 shekels each, whatever the figure may be. He purchases the man and his woman. And of course, in modern society, this is looked upon as absolutely horrific. And there's been stories in the UK in recent years of slavery returning to the UK. A lot of East Europeans have come over to the UK in the past 15 or 20 years. And they are wealthy uh, East Europeans and they live around the London area. And the media are very careful how they report this. Because they they don't want to be called xenophobic. Xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, all these buzzwords designed by middle-class people. And you've got these Eastern Europeans living around London, very wealthy, six, seven-figure salaries. They are hiring slaves from Eastern Europe. Modern-day slavery. And the media are very careful how they report it. We can't be seen to be xenophobic, you see. But if a Christian gets up and preaches from this on the streets, they'll be slaughtered. They'll be cut down. You are a bigot. You are this, you are that. There was a story concerning a school in Birmingham over the last few weeks and months. Most of the school... Is run by uh, Westerners, but it's an Islamic school, and these parents, Muslims, don't want their kids to be taught about same-sex relations, and that's fair enough. But the media very careful, very careful how they report it. No one's being called a bigot. No one's being forced to go on a, on a on a diversity course. All these Islamists in Birmingham got their speakers, and megaphones out, calling for the firing of the principal. And the media are tiptoeing around it very carefully. If he come in by himself, he should go out by himself. He comes on his own, he goes out on his own. If he were married, then his wife should go out with him. There's no same-sex relation here also. It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. you got a man and a woman coming together. And again, a marriage very quickly is done normally via a feast or a meal of some kind. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters... The wife and her children shall be her masters. And he shall go out by himself. So the owner of the slave was just that. He would own you. Paul says you are bought with a price. You're not of your own. Now it's like this. For the Old Testament. The slave owner is a picture of God. Or the slave is a picture of the Christian. Paul says in the book of Romans. You're either a slave to sin. Or a slave to the saviour. If you're born again. You either belong to the Lord. Or you belong to yourself. You're either serving yourself. Or you're serving the saviour. If his master... And you were told to pray for your masters over in 1 Timothy, chapter 6. If his master, his owner, have given him a wife after purchasing him, buying him, this is so contentious. And yet, as I say, if you criticise homosexuality, abortion or the transgender movement, they will say, how dare you judge us? How dare you criticise us? You are a bigot. And yet, when they read passages such as this, they say, this is awful. This is horrific. And now they are the ones passing judgments on what we believe. The whole thing is a joke. If his master hath given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and the children shall be her masters. He owns the kids. Because he gave the man the wife, the wife gave him the children, but the owner of the husband, the wife, and the children gets the property. He has the deeds, picturing our salvation. You don't belong to yourself, you're bought with a price. And he should go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master... My wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. So, again, the King James quite rightly translates this as a servant, not a slave. And all the new Bibles post 1880 will change this from servant to slave because those Bibles are produced by Lordship Salvation people. But a servant is not quite the same as a slave. A slave is not quite the same as a servant. Verse 5 again. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master. Now how about that? And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. You should love serving your master in heaven. You should love your wife as Christ loved the church. And you should honour your children. You shouldn't provoke your children. You shouldn't antagonize your children. I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. Keep your hand Then and go to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 15. So basically the picture here is of an ear being pierced. A lot of people like that is pierced today a lot of boys get their ears pierced and they are very young it's always their mothers of course who want their sons to have their ears pierced and in the ancient world if you saw a man or woman with an ear pierced it would tell you that they were owned by a third party Deuteronomy chapter 15 Deuteronomy chapter 15 look at verse 12 if you will and if thy brother an Hebrew man or an Hebrew woman be sold unto thee and serve these six years. And then in the seventh year. Thou shalt let him go free from thee. You couldn't hold him forever. There was no indefinite detention. Six years. If you will. You know you paid your dues. And on the seventh. You were free to go. And here this is dealing with Jews. Buying and selling Jews. And when thou sendest him out. Free from thee. Thou shalt not let him go away empty. Take care of his needs. He may not have much money saved up. Thou shalt furnish him liberally. Out of thy flock and out of thy floor, and out of thy winepress. Of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him, take care of his needs, love him, he's loved you, honour him, he has honoured you. First Timothy chapter 6 says that masters have a, have a master in heaven, being God, of course. And you go back to the little book of Philemon, the slave Onesimus, he would run away from his master, and Paul says, get yourself back to your master, submit to him. Another tricky passage. But, of course, for slaves that broke away from their masters in ancient times, it was a risk. And many times when they broke away from their masters, they went under. They couldn't survive. They had no skills. They had no trade. They could barely read or write. There was no welfare system. And that's why it was imperative at times to remain under the authority of your master. 15. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. And the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this thing today you are a slave and i set you free from it you should know the truth and the truth shall set you free make you free after you are saved you don't want to clobber christians and put them back into spiritual slavery like the law you should preach against lordship salvation if you are a preacher and here remember where you came from and also 16 and it shall be if he say unto thee i will not go away from thee because he loveth thee and thine house because he is well with thee then thou shalt take an awl, and thrust it through his ear unto the door. And he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. So you get the guy? You take him to a doorpost of some kind. You nail his ear to a doorpost of some kind. Jesus Christ is called the door. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And that man would put his ear to the, to the door frame, And a tool of some kind would pierce the ear of the man go back to the book of exodus and he's now got a hole in his ear he's got jewelry if you will other slaves would be marked up with a coding of some kind the flip side to this of course is a mark of the beast found over in the tribulation showing that you are owned by the antichrist and they put a mark in your right hand or in your forehead but for biblical times a servant not a slave was to be released after Six or seven years of service. And like I say, the ownership of... Or the sign of the ownership was simply an airing of some kind. Now today, I'm going to suggest this. That today, in a sense, one's school uniform... Or a police uniform, or work uniform... Symbolizes one's ownership over an employee. Exodus 21. Exodus 21. Look at verse 7. And if a man shall set his daughter to be a maidservant... She shall not go out as the men servants do. If she please not a master. Who hath betrothed her to himself. Then shall he let her be redeemed. To sell her unto a strange nation. He shall have no power. Seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. So now there is a protection put in place. If you were an owner back in ancient times. And you were buying and selling slaves. Almighty God wanted to make sure that you would behave responsibly. This is a two-way covenant between the slave owner and the slave, or the servants, and the servant owner. Again, note the delineation between slave and servants. And here, verse 8 again. If she please not her master, who hath betrothed her to himself, they are now engaged, he's purchased her to marry her, then shall he let her be redeemed. To sell her unto a strange nation. He should have no power. Seeing he hath dealt. Seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. He was in the wrong. So out she goes. He is to release her. And yet you think of other customs today. Like Islam for example. Where the woman is treated like a second. Sometimes third class citizen. Almost nothing is said about that. And yet when Christians stand up. And speak about what they believe in. They are shut down. slapped down. Verse 9. And if he hath betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. Look after your daughters over in the uh, New Testament. If you are a woman, you are referred to as a daughter of the king. If you are a son, you are referred to as a son of the king. And of course, Jesus Christ is our older brother. So now the status slightly changes from a slave to a daughter or a servant to a daughter. And of course, you love your daughters. If you are a parent, you love your sons. If you are a parent, it's no longer a buy and sell sort of a thing. Look at verse 10. If you take him another wife, her food, her raiment and her duty of marriage shall he not diminish. He takes care of her. Now that used to be called alimony up until quite recently. Of course marriage has changed considerably in the last 10 years. Just 10 years ago, two men couldn't marry. Two women couldn't marry. And now they can marry. And if you speak against it, you are the one who is seen to have a problem. The whole world has lost its mind. We have a level of intolerance now which is unprecedented. I saw on the news this morning and over the last couple of days about a rugby player. I don't follow sports, I don't know who he is or what his background is, but this guy has religious beliefs, could be a Christian I think, and this rugby player has been hounded and harassed for his views on homosexuality. Never the other way around concerning bibliophobia. And I can't watch these reports anymore, I turn the news off now. It just turns my stomach. I don't care what homosexuals think of me. So why should they care what I think about them? We now live in a society where we can't speak our minds. We have to conform to the will of the minority. That school in Birmingham, those parents have their beliefs. Good for them. I don't share their beliefs, but they are entitled to their beliefs. And those parents pulled their kids out of that that school for teaching LGBT courses. Good for them. That's their prerogative. And the media tiptoed around it. They picked their words very, very carefully. And I've seen Christian parents over the years pull their kids out of schools for different reasons. And the media just launch a tirade against you, against those people. And they hound those Christians, they harass those Christians, and yet you never see people with bibliophobic views being harassed or hounded. It never happens, of course. But here, Exodus 21, verses 1 down to 11, is dealing with the subject of slavery, ownership. Now, of course, for those of us which are saved, we know we are purchased by the Lord, thanks to his precious blood. We are owned by him. We serve him. We don't serve ourselves. And every time we step out of fellowship with him, we start to serve ourselves. We start to backslide. And we become servants to sin. And that's why the Lord will chastise those of his which are his. But, of course, for a slave, back in the in ancient times, he or she would have an earring of some kind, found in verse 6, as... A token of ownership to stop somebody coming along and poaching such a person. Slaves had rights also in biblical times. Some slaves could be doctors. Some slaves could be lawyers. Some slaves were very close to their owners. And I believe some slaves around 20 AD from memory were able to go into the Roman Senate. You could be part of (coughs) Roman society. Tarsus was Roman born had a dual nationality. He was free born, of course. So when we think of slavery, it's not quite like you would think. It's not like what is going on in parts of London today, where these people from Eastern Europe are being worked 15, 16 hours a day, seven days a week. And they are being, being treated meanly by the Eastern European owners. And of course, the media won't tell you that because it could be xenophobic. We can't be xenophobic, but we can be bibliophobic. We can criticize Christians. And if you go back to... The Civil War in America or the abolition of slavery in the UK. In the UK, when it was abolished, it was abolished by Christians. Christians abolished it. There was a great push to keep slavery. You can be careful with this. Without the background, without understanding the background or the context of slavery, you get into a real spin. And I've seen Christians being boxed in and having to defend what slavery is from the definition of a unsaved liberal. And they don't know what it means. They have no idea what it means. But basically, a slave in the Old Testament was someone's property. The owner of the slave was to take care of the slave. If the owner didn't take care of the slave, there would be repercussions. There were built-in checks and balances, you see. For today, like I say, a school uniform pictures ownership of a child, if you will, or when police wear their uniform, or nurses wear their uniform, or at your workplace, if you wear a uniform, is a sign of ownership. And also it's a sign of the company having a duty of care over you as well. But of course we now live in a different system, a different society. And there's different levels of slavery today which you hear very little of. Go to Galatians chapter 6. It is laughable when I listen to liberals attacking Christians for what the Bible teaches. And yet five minutes before they attack what we believe, when we attack what they believe, they jump all over us. They call us bigots and we're not allowed to believe what we believe, but they can believe what they believe. They can criticise us, but we can't criticise them. I saw a guy on the news a few days ago. And he, he was a black man, and he was rightly complaining about some of the racial abuse that he experiences at football stadiums around the country. And I thought, yes, he's right to say that. I was stand with him. I don't like racial slanting or slurring. I was always raised to respect people, and I still do. You don't have to be a Christian to respect people. The golden rule says do unto others as you would have others do unto you. That's common sense. And this black man was speaking to a white uh, news reporter about how sickened he was to hear racial slants all over the stadiums. And the reporter said, it's absolutely horrific. You know, we need to stamp this out. I thought, how about saying this? I am sick of going to a public venue. It could be a stadium. It could be a pub or a club or what have you. And no, I don't go to those places just for the record. But imagine saying to the reporter, I'm sick of hearing OMG. Will you stand with me and let's stamp this out together? He just looked at you as if you were an imbecile. But it's true, isn't it? biblophobic that's fine. Islamophobic, that's not fine. Xenophobic, that's not acceptable. Islamophobic, that's not acceptable. But you can blaspheme God. You can mock him. You can punish Christians for standing up for what they believe in. And they won't have anybody back them up, will they? No, they won't. But you take a stand against some of the... People I've just spoken about. They will come down on you like a ton of bricks. Galatians chapter 6. Now Paul picks up this piercing. This symbolic language. Although, well, Of course it's not symbolic. But for New Testament it is symbolic. Old Testament was literal. New Testament it is spiritual. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Look at verse 17. From henceforth let no man trouble me. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul was whipped. Stoned. Starved. Left for dead. Worked with his own hands. He really did bear the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered more than any of the other apostles. And here, you want to think about a slave or a servant for the New Testament. It's just here. For the first century, if you took a stand for the Lord, and Paul certainly did, you would have marks in your body, picturing ownership of the Christian, belonging to the Lord. Paul never moaned or complained a day in his life. Christians shouldn't be moaning or complaining, shouldn't be griping. We're not going to whinge like some of these snowflakes who get upset when they are criticised. We don't run to the police when we are insulted. We get insulted as Christians all the time. We take it. We turn the other cheek. We're not back at school now. We don't run to the teacher every time we get upset or offended. We take it. We take it. And Paul took it. He didn't complain. And here, one more time, from henceforth, from this day forth, Let no man trouble me. Don't bother me with this stuff. Why? For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Over in Psalm 22, the Messiah spoke about being pierced. My hands were pierced. They pierced his hands and his feet. They put a spear through his side. Going back to uh, this being Palm Sunday. Holy Week, as it's called in certain Christian circles. It's not a Christian term or biblical term, Holy Week. But you know why it's used? leading up to the greatest events, post the creation of the world being a crucifixion, Christ had his hands and feet pierced, going back to Exodus 21, as a sign of ownership. If you will, the Lamb of God is owned by God the Father, and from his conception to crucifixion, he was in submission to his Father. His Father owned him. He would live and breathe, walk and exist, due to his Father's good pleasure. He was owned by his father. And for those of us which are saved. We are owned by our father. And go back to verse 6 from Exodus 21 again. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door. Or unto the door post. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. So Christians are going to serve God forever. Post the judgment seat of course. Once you get saved you start to serve him. Once you get saved, you start your walk with him. We're going to serve him forever, in eternity. We have New Jerusalem to look forward to. We are looking for a city, uh, strictly speaking, not a place as such. Or Technically, we go to New Jerusalem upon death, not heaven, although sometimes they are used interchangeably. But we are looking for New Jerusalem for those of us which are saved. And all the greats from the beginning of the Old Testament right up until the beginning of the Lord's ministry are looking for the new earth. And we will serve him, almighty God, forever. We have a seal of some kind on us. We know his name. He knows our name. He calls us by our name. And one day he will call us. And up we go in the rapture. As sign of our ownership to the Lord, we have imputation. His blood covers us from all of our past, present, and future sins. And we belong to him. So therefore, if a third party was to come along like the devil, he knows he can't touch us. There was only so much he could do with Job. And also, if you read the book of Job very carefully, and I'm currently reading through Job, it's very interesting what the devil doesn't know. He had no idea what Job would do when he was put to the test. He thought he could touch Job, and Job would curse God. And of course, that's not what happens. Job stands firm, and by chapter 31, it all starts to turn. And by 40, 41, 42, the Lord steps back into the picture and rewards Job. But my point is this. He was tested, and he stood firm. Because you belong to the Lord. And if you are a Christian, like Paul was, like I am, and hopefully most of our listeners this morning, if you belong to the Lord, he will test you and you will stand firm because you belong to him. You have an invisible earring, if you will. Your ear was pierced in a symbolic way. From the standpoint of heaven, you are covered. You are owned by the Lord. But also I love it when it says how I love my master. Verse 5, my wife, my children, I will not go out free of a christian today who should love his master being god his wife or husband if he has any children if he has any i will not go out free in other words i won't go back into the world i won't backslide and go back into the world system i want to stay where i am and then you get into redemption again from seven eight nine and ten also ten is also interesting because if he takes another wife if he takes another wife something else which was allowed shall we say for the old testament like polygamy He has to take care of her food, her raiments, and duty of marriage. Going back to what I said a few moments ago, alimony, which I think they still use, but now marriage has completely changed. You've now got men marrying men. You've got women marrying women. You've got same-sex couples adopting children. But don't start me on that. So we will close it there, and next week we'll continue looking at the 21st chapter of the book of Exodus, which, like I said at the beginning of this live recording, has really no direct doctrinal application for anyone living today, only spiritual application. But you see the picture, don't you? A slave is a picture of a Christian. The master is a picture of God. Uh, The ideal picture would be the slave loving the master or the master loving the servant. And yes, sometimes slave and servants are used interchangeably, like in the book of Philemon. And the ideal picture is that you love your master, the master loves you, and if he's given you children, if God has blessed you with a wife, if God has blessed you with a husband, if God has blessed you with children, that's what this is all about. You stay together as a unit, and you stay in fellowship as a unit, and you stay as you are. Because if you break up, there's pain, problems, repercussions, so on and so forth. And of course, you know what happens when families break up, and there are children involved. They're the ones who suffer the most. Please open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. And we are looking at the 21st chapter from the book of Exodus. A very contentious part of the Old Testament. And Christians sometimes feel they have to bend over backwards to defend what they believe. And yet, let's turn the tables. Let's take a look at Darwinian evolution. Let's take a look at slavery. Like from the 17th to the 19th century. And let's see who has to defend that. Proverbs chapter 10. uh, Proverbs chapter 10. Look at verse 13, if you will. In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. So very simply, if you were a slave owner back in the time of Moses, back in the time of the Old Testament, right up until the time of the Apostle Paul and beyond, you had rights over your property, if you will. The way to harmonize that for today would be to say this, that Almighty God owns Christians. We are bought with a price. We are not of our own. And if he owns us, and of course he does, he is able to chastise us. He's able to chasten us. He's able to whip us, as and when he wants to, found over in the book of Hebrews. Look at 13 again. In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. So again, a slave owner back in biblical times was able to inflict discipline on his or her slave. And the same would be true of parents during biblical times, jump over to Proverbs chapter 13, Proverbs chapter 13, and look at verse 24, if you will. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasten him be times. In other words, if you don't give your child a spank, a smack, a clip round the ear, as they used to say, the word of God says you hate your child. Now, of course, you've got to be careful. We're not talking about child abuse like whipping your child so severely that he or she finds themselves in hospital, absolutely not. But we are speaking about discipline, like a clip around the ear. When I was at school, uh, my teachers were very strict, and as a student going through the school system, I was smacked, I was punched, I was pushed across the room. And yet most students today are attacking their teachers, spitting in their teachers' faces, whipping their teachers, cussing, cursing their teachers... And I saw one report in the news this week. 90% of UK teachers, 90% of UK teachers are being harassed, stalked and victimised by their students. Go to Exodus chapter 21. So last week we had a crash course looking at the first 10 verses of slavery. And like I say, Christians today are very good at apologising. We are sorry for this. We are sorry for that. They sort of do a dance. To appease enemies of the cross. But let me say this to you. It took Japan 70 years to apologise for their behaviour during World War II. As of right now, I don't think China has apologised for her part in conflicts over the years. You you uh, rarely hear anything from India or Pakistan concerning their conflicts. And when it comes to Christians, uh, we are forced to apologise for this. We are forced to apologise for that. And I want to speak about that this morning. Exodus chapter 21... Exodus chapter 21. Look at verse 2 again. If thou buy an Hebrew servant. If. This is conditional. This isn't mandatory. Unlike the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. not Honour thy father and mother. Keep the Sabbath day holy. You've got eight commandments where you are told what not to do. And two where you are told what to do. That's compulsory. But the 21st chapter isn't compulsory. If you were to take a servant if you were to purchase a slave. Of course, if you go through the Old Testament, you won't find many priests or prophets owning slaves. I can't think of Elijah or Elisha owning a slave. I can't think of the apostles owning slaves. The Lord Jesus Christ said he came to serve, not to be served. So again, when it says if, it's conditional. If thou, if you buy an Hebrew servant, it's conditional. And therefore, because it is conditional, the Lord is going to legislate this. He's going to make it clear that there are rules that are going to go alongside this. Six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. So he will serve you six years if you decide to purchase a slave. And he will do just that work for you for six years. And when the seventh comes around, he will go out free for nothing. Now, if you want to spiritualize this, you could say that for the church age, or go back to creation, into the church age, into the tribulation. You've got, what, 6,000 years, if you want to look at it that way. And we are serving the Lord during those 6,000 years. But for the 1,000 years, we are free, if you will. That's the only way to harmonise the 21st chapter with events today. And uh, like I said last Sunday, most of what we are going to read today and over the next couple of Sundays has almost no reference to anybody living today. If he came in by himself, he should go out by himself. Pretty self-explanatory. If he were married, then his wife should go out with him. So if he came in married, if they came in as a pair, they will go out as a pair. If his master, verse 4, have given him a wife after he purchased him, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. So you belong to the Lord, your wife belongs to the Lord, your husband belongs to the Lord, your children belong to the Lord. Christ loved the church. As Adam loved his wife, and again, for the Old Testament, a slave owner, if you will, pictures God the Father. The slave pictures the Christian. And if the Christian has been blessed to have a husband or a wife, and also children, then they are also owned by Almighty God, of course. Verse 5, And if, and if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him unto the judges, he shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. So, for today, if you will, we have people in this country and all over the world that have their ears pierced. Nothing new under the sun, of course. And I've seen young children, two, three, four, five, six, having their ears pierced. Now men have their ears pierced. It's kind of fashionable, but for the ancient world, those that would pierce their ears uh, did so to show that they were owned. So, one more time, verses 2, 3, 4, and also 8. Picture what needs to take place once a Jew under the law decided to purchase someone else. You will struggle if you read the Bible on a regular basis to find anyone. It could be Enoch, it could be Elijah, it could be Daniel. In fact, Daniel was a slave. It could be Ezekiel, it could be Hosea, it could be Jeremiah. It could be the apostles, it could be the Lord Jesus Christ, it could be their associates. None of those people owned slaves. Slavery in the Old Testament was a rare occurrence. When the Apostle Paul got saved, he was travelling around the Roman Empire and some of his converts that got saved were wealthy, well-to-do people, and of course they owned slaves, Gentiles, owning Gentile slaves. And that's what uh, the book of uh, Philemon or Philemon is all about. Look at verse 8 again. If she please not a master who hath betrothed her to himself, then shall he let her be redeemed. To sell her unto a strange nation, he shall have no power, seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. So there are rules and regulations put in place to protect male servants, female servants. If you think about the world today, parts of Africa are still heavily involved in slavery. And I was sent an article this week about a man in Africa who's done prison time for opposing slavery. And I forget which country it was in Africa. But they say that anywhere from up to half a million blacks are still in slavery in Africa. And the reason why that slavery continues is because the Arabs that do the buying and the selling will consider black people to be inferior. You go back to the 17th, 18th, 19th century. You had people in Africa, and I'm getting ahead of myself slightly but I'll say this while it's clear in my mind, you had people in Africa, you had wealthy people in Africa selling poor people in Africa to Arabs in the Middle East who then sold them to people in Britain and America. But of course you won't hear much about that will you? It's not PC. If you take him, another wife, again, if it's conditional, this isn't something which you have to do, but if you do this then there are rules which will follow. If he take him another wife, verse 10, going back to polygamy, which was tolerated, going back to the Lord's permissive will. If he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall he not diminish? And if he do not these three unto her, then shall she go out free without money? So before you would purchase a slave, back in biblical times, you had to walk a fine line. Like I say, the Lord would legislate it. He would allow it to take place for multiple reasons. For today, when Christians decide to do this or decide to do that, there are consequences. Of course, to own a person during biblical times was a huge responsibility. But unfortunately, Christians have been forced to go on the back foot. They've been forced to apologise for what took place two, three hundred years ago. But just for the record, and one more time, when we look at black slavery, you had wealthy black people in Africa selling poor black people in Africa to wealthy Arab, being Mohammedans, traders in the Middle East, who then sold them to people in Britain and America. And on top of that, some of those slave owners were good old Darwinists. Because Charles Darwin said that the white man was superior to the black man. But of course you won't be taught this. It's not politically correct. Christians are forced to apologise for passages such as this. But let's turn the tables. Let's ask our evolutionary friends to defend why Charles Darwin said that the white man was superior to the black man. Let's see our, evolution, our evolutionary friends defend the Arab trade owners, slave owners, human traffickers in the Middle East. That was selling poor black people to Britain and America. And when those people arrived in Britain and America, some of those people were sold to black owners. Wealthy black people. But of course you won't be taught this. It's not PC, you see. Look at verse 12. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. Going back to thou shalt not kill... You go back over the ancient world you look at any religion from the ancient world it was pretty much i won't say a free for all but human rights like we think of it today was unheard of and here if you killed a man you were put to death this is also upheld from the book of romans romans chapter 13 the lord jesus christ said if you hated your brother without a cause without a cause and that word without a cause is removed in the new bibles if you hate your brother without a cause Matthew chapter 5, you are a murderer. And First John chapter 3 says, if you hate your brother, if you hate your brother, if you hate your sister, you are a murderer. And no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. But here we are looking at physical death. You take a life, you lose your own. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. A picture, of course, of manslaughter, a common issue back in Uh, the old testament, and of course they had safe houses, if you will, where people could go uh, to disappear from the vengeance. And again, verse thirteen, read it again. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. Like Moses, chapter two, verses eleven to fifteen. Moses killed a man, buried him in the sand, ran for the hills, and for a period of time was hiding verse 14 but if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die like joab over in first kings chapter 2 verse 15 and he that smiteth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death a parent who is put to death or a child who smites their parent would die back in the old testament and if you think of someone like absalom attacking David in a spiritual sense. He would die a cursed death, probably on on an oak tree. Of course, Judas would attack the Lord Jesus Christ in a spiritual sense, and he too died on an oak tree. Herod would attack James, Acts chapter 12, and we know what happened to Herod. He would spend days in great agony being eaten alive from worms, according to Josephus. So if you will, James from Acts chapter 12 was a son of Israel, so his father would be God the Father. Jesus is called the Everlasting Father. He is obviously called the Everlasting Father in reference to Israel, not God the Father. And of course, David, as a son of Israel, uh, is also a son of God in a spiritual sense, of course. Look at verse 16. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. You've now got hu- uh, human trafficking. Like Joseph's brethren, they were selling out to the Ishmaelites, going back to the Arabs in the Middle East, selling poor black slaves to Britain and America via those good old Darwinists. And, of course, you may have some Christian ship owners that were selling black people around the world, and every Sunday they'd be in church. Maybe they were Catholics, maybe they were Protestants. But that was the era, you see. That was the era. Charles Darwin said the white man was superior to the black man. That's what he said. But you won't, have, you won't hear that taught in any school college or university today and he that stealeth a man verse 16 again and selleth him like the brothers of joseph or if he be found in his hand he shall surely be put to death of course they weren't put to death because what they did to their brother back in the old testament took place before the law daniel was sold to nebuchadnezzar as a slave during the law and of course nebuchadnezzar wasn't put to death but be mindful of this that what you're reading this morning is for the jews it says over in Leviticus, suffer not a witch to live, in reference to a Jew finding a Jew practicing witchcraft. That gets thrown at Christians like myself, and other people say to them on the streets, Why do you persecute witches? And they go to the book of Leviticus and they quote that verse to me. They don't realize that in Leviticus it's speaking about a Jew, it's speaking about a Jew practicing witchcraft, and a Jew who was practicing witchcraft was to be put to death. It's not speaking about Gentiles messing around with witchcraft. Paul told you from 1 Corinthians that. God deals with the world. The church deal with the church. The Jews, Old Testament, would deal with the Jews. This is speaking about a Jew setting on a Jew. And of course the Jews, during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, were living under Roman slavery, Roman occupation. They would say to Jesus, we aren't born in fornication, we aren't born in slavery, we aren't born in bondage to anyone or anything. And of course they'd forgotten that they were living under the Romans. They were slaves to Rome. They weren't free to have their own leaders, they had to dance the tune of the Romans. And the consequences of stealing and selling a person would be death. And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. These verses continue to roll off the pages. A child that back chats his or her parents in the millennial reign will be put to death, will die. And here, he that curseth his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Smiteth his father or mother shall be put to death. This is a family book. This book is about families. You've got kids today that are back chatting their parents, and I've seen it, I've heard it. And you've got parents which are also assaulting their children in a spiritual sense, in a verbal sense. And when you start to do that, society will continue to break down. But we are way back in the Old Testament. This is under the law, of course. And if men strive together, verse 18, and one smite another with a stone or with his fist, and he die not but keepeth his bed, if he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff. Then shall he that smote him be quit. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time. And shall cause him to be thoroughly, thoroughly healed. So again you got uh, the consequences. And here it slightly shifts from slavery to one's station in life. If two men are fighting and one hits another with a stone or with his fist. Like a weapon, a weapon of some kind. And he dies not, he doesn't die. But keepeth his bed, is able to continue on, and rise again, verse 19, and walk abroad upon his staff, upon his stick, then he that smote him shall be quit like exonerated. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time. Compensation. We've still got that. We've still got that today. And they call those people ambulance chasers. You've been involved in a car crash. You've been involved with an incident at work, an incident here or there. Let us take up your case. We can get compensation for you. And he shall cause him to be thoroughly, thoroughly healed, completely healed. And if a man smite his servants, or his maid, with a rod, and he die under his hand, he shall be surely punished. The consequences, once again, are so clear to see. But you go back to the 17th, 18th, 19th century, slave owners shipping black people around the world. And those people made a lot of money, of course, off the backs of that. That's what the Civil War was all about, all about in America. But let me say this to you. What you're not told, if you study a history like I do, is that during the 17th, 18th, and 19th century, you had hundreds of thousands of white people forced into slavery, put onto ships, sailed to America. There's a book online called White Cargo. Get it sometime, read it. It's a fascinating book. Those people were snatched off the streets of London, Manchester, Glasgow, chained, whipped, starved on ships, Sent to America during uh, colonial times, of course. And they would stay in America throughout the uh, Industrial Revolution. Some of those people would die in America. White slavery. But you're not taught that, are you? You're not taught it because it's not PC. It's easier to attack the white man, you see, than it is to attack other people. 21. Notwithstanding, if he continue a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his money. He's lost a period of time. He's lost his servant's time, because time is money, like they say. In fact, go back to verse 20. And if a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod, and he die under his hand, he shall be surely punished, because you just killed a person, a man or woman, made in the image of God. But look at verse 22. This is very controversial. If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, He shall be surely punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him. And he shall pay as the judges determine. I looked at two reference Bibles this past week to see what they made of this verse. And it was interesting to see what they said about this verse. I had one written by a Calvinist and one written by a Baptist. They both used the word fetus, which is what people that don't believe in God use. The term fetus is a very ugly word. And yes, I know it means little one. But the term fetus is used by those that don't believe in God creation account, uh, evolutionists, of course. And they always speak about the fetus, the fetus, the fetus. And I always like to ask the question, if it's not a baby, because the term baby is very emotive, very controversial. If it's just a fetus, is it a human? Let's keep reading it again. If men strive, if men are fighting, and hurt, injure woman with child, she's pregnant, so that her fruit, the baby departs from her, like prematurely, and yet no mischief follow, the baby survives, He shall be surely punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judge is determined. So I thought it was kind of shameful that two fundamentalists use the term fetus, not child. Fetus, not baby. I take the view that when a child is conceived in its mother's womb, it is a child. It is a human being. I don't believe that it's not a human until it takes its first breath. I don't believe that. And if a child is crushed in the mother's womb, like fetal uh, craniotomy, Disgusting uh, description used by those that advocate evolution. It is murder, pure and simple. Of course, the problem with that belief is once you teach that to be so, then the doctors have to be prosecuted, the nurses have to be prosecuted for murder. And most people who are pro-life don't want to go that far. If you think of people like Jeff Durbin and Ben Shapiro, they got into debates maybe six months ago over this whole subject. And Durbin, a five-point Calvinist, always interest when a Calvinist takes up this debate. Incidentally. A Calvinist believes nothing can happen without God's permission, basically. And he ordains all that is evil in this world. That's what they believe. And yet the same Calvinist is outside abortion mills, shouting at women not to have abortions, shouting at unsaved women not to pay unsaved doctors, not to pay unsaved nurses to book their babies. These aren't even God's people. But put that aside for one moment. And Jeff Durbin was debating this with Ben Shapiro, an unsaved Orthodox Jew. It's very interesting. To watch these two, what they were saying was basically correct concerning the abortion, the murder of the unborn. But Durban wants the not just the women to be prosecuted, those that have the abortion to be prosecuted, charged with murder. So too he wants the doctors and the nurses to be prosecuted with murder, whereas Shapiro doesn't want to go that far. But in the Old Testament, if you took a life, you lost your own life, of course. 23. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life. Like the baby is born prematurely and dies. A lot of premature babies don't make it. Some premature babies have long-term effects. Life for life. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Hand for hand. Foot for foot. Burning for burning. Wound for wound. Stripe for stripe. So basically, if you are an advocate of life, pro-life, if you are against abortion, you have to be consistent. And you have to say this, that if the woman has an abortion, it is murder, first and foremost. She should be prosecuted, obviously, for murder. There isn't a country in the world that would do such a thing. Last year, Ireland made it legal to abort their babies. The doctors, the nurses, should also be prosecuted. But of course, we are reading about the Jews under the law. We're not reading about the Gentiles today. You've got these abortion mills consisting of unsaved doctors, unsaved nurses, unsaved women going in to pay for their babies to be murdered. Where do we come into this? Go back to the New Testament. Paul says it's either the church, the Jew, or the Gentile. But here, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, wound for wound, in reference to if mischief would follow, verse 23, dealing with a baby, not a fetus. And again, fetus may mean Latin. It may mean little one in Latin, but don't use that term fetus. It's a baby. It's a baby. Don't Conform to the ways of the world. Don't apologise for what you believe in if you are a Christian. It's not down to us to defend this book. It's down to us to preach it, to explain it, but not to defend it. You won't find Darwinists going around defending Charles Darwin's views on the black man. You won't find people going around today defending what the Arabs did back in the 16th, 16th, 17th and 18th, going into the 19th century, selling poor black people to Britain and America and elsewhere, they won't do it. But Christians are being forced to defend what they believe in. Well, I won't apologise for anything. I have no interest in apologising for what I believe in, what I stand for, or what I uh, consist of. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripes. You can't miss it, unless, of course you don't want to see it. But basically, these verses are laying out the case, what would happen, what should happen, If a Jew wanted to purchase a slave, a servant, and again the King James uses the term here as servant, verse 2 and also verse 5 and elsewhere, not the term slave, because of course a slave is in reference to what the Lordship Lordship Salvation people would have you believe that you are slaves to Christ, whereas the King James calls you a servant. Also there were protections in place for female servants, because they could be abused, and that still takes place around the world today. Building on that, if two people uh, two people get into a fight and one dies, such person would forfeit their life, like the aggressor. You've also got a place uh, which was put aside for those that would kill accidentally. Contrast that to someone like Absalom, premeditated. Contrast that to someone like uh, Herod, over in the book of Acts. And as a result, the, the consequences would be different, of course. Verse 18 If the man was able to recuperate, then compensation would be paid on his behalf. This is how the Lord will legislate slavery. But those people and the ships didn't have any compensation. It was a rough route for them. Oh, look out for the book, White Cargo. It's a fascinating book. It's a very depressing book. It's one of the great shames uh, as far as the Western Hemisphere is concerned. And yet, those slave owners were very much dancing to their own tunes. If they were Darwinists, they were dancing to the tune of Darwin. If they were Catholics, they were dancing to the tune of the Catholic Church. Look at World War Two. Look at the commandants in uh, uh, Dachau and Sachsenhausen and uh, Auschwitz and other parts of Poland and Germany. They were Catholics. They were Catholics, and it may have been Patton or Brady, uh, Bradley, excuse me, either Patton or Bradley, at the end of the war, 19. 44, they went into one death camp, I think it was Patton actually, and he was so disgusted with what he saw, he got the commandant out of his um, office, slapped his face in the presence of his uh, officers, and said to this, maybe in a colonel or major, start digging! And he made this German officer, good old Catholic boy, start digging. There were corpses all over the place, and the Americans were disgusted. Of course, when the Russians arrived in Auschwitz, They had a great propaganda victory. They were able to dress up some of those people, get them to march out of the death camps, film it, and give the impression that they just found those people. A lot of controversy. Whether it's the Russians being communists, being Darwinists, and there's slavery in parts of Russia today, not quite as it was back in the times of Stalin and co, but you still got people being kept down, or China. A lot of slavery in China or Russia. That's communism. That's Darwinism. Contrast that to Catholicism enslaving their leaders for four or five six or seven hundred years contrast that to muhammadans in the middle east enslaving their people that's why the nation of islam was set up under farrakhan if you speak to an, uh, if you speak to an average muslim today he has no interest in the the uh, nation of islam he sees the nation of islam as an inferior brand of islam like we see the jehovah's witnesses as, as a counterfeit version of christianity there's all sorts of slavery today it's not going away and they don't have to defend it do they but we have to defend what we believe because we are fair game. Whereas these people don't have to defend what they believe. Because of course they are the children of this world. And they are the children of the devil. So we are working our way through the book of Exodus. Chapter 21 to be more specific. I want to pick out a few more verses and go over them again. Uh, we were able to have a look at these verses last week. But I need to add some more material to last week's study. 21.5 21.5 And if the servant shall plainly say... I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. So you think of the Lord Jesus Christ. They pierced my hands and my feet. They pierced the side, and water and blood came out. And quite simply, the servant here is a picture of the servants of servants, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ was in submission to his father and in eternity it's my belief that we will all see his hands, his feet and of course the side which was pierced, demonstrating what he went through for us. If the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, the Lord Jesus Christ would love his father, my wife, pitched with the church and my children, those that will get saved. you you think in the context of the children of Israel from Acts chapter 2. And to their descendants, should they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his master, his master, it please the father to bruise of the son. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, pierce his ear to some extent, and he shall serve him forever. Keep your hand there and go to uh, Psalm chapter 40. So again, it was conditional. You didn't have to purchase a slave. And if you were to purchase a slave, there are rules uh, set in order to make sure you didn't abuse these servants, whether male or female. Psalm chapter 40, Psalm chapter 40, look at verse 6 if you will. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering has thou not required? Like permanently. Go back to Exodus 21. So again, the servant found over in chapter 21 pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. For now, if you are a saved person, you are either a servant to the saviour or you are a servant to the serpent. Exodus 21. Exodus 21. Look at verse uh, 22 again. If men strive... And heard a woman with child, mark that in your Bible, so that her fruit depart from her, gives birth prematurely, and yet no mischief follow, the child is able to survive. And yet many kids that are born prematurely don't always survive, but they can do. He shall be surely punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. So it's called a child from verse 22, not a fetus. And last week we looked at the term fetus, which has its uh, origin from Latin, denoting pregnancy, a childbirth. And in my Oxford dictionary, the word fetus means an unborn or unhatched offspring of a mammal. We're not mammals. In particular, an unborn human more than eight weeks after conception. They use the word a fetus to denote mammals, uh, picturing animals. Mammals are animals. Whereas humans are Homo sapien. You've got to watch these people. They use these terms interchangeably. We're not mammals. We were made in the image of God. So again, if you are a Christian, be careful what terminology you use. People like to use the word gay. They say, I have a friend who is gay. I know someone who is gay. Don't use the word gay. The word gay is French. It means happy. You find that used over in the book of James. If a man comes into your assembly, synagogue, wearing gay, wearing gay, wearing gay clothing don't give them favoritism so and so on so forth. So one more time, I don't care for the term fetus. Christians use it sometimes, and if you work in the medical profession it's probably it's probably become a course of habit to use the term fetus. But strictly speaking, a fetus, found in the dictionary, denotes a mammal, which we are not, in particular, an unborn human more than eight weeks after conception. So they use these, or they use such a term interchangeably. I don't care for that. If men strive, if men fight, and hurt a woman with child, not fetus, not a product of conception, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, she's able to survive, or more specifically the baby, the baby is able to survive the premature birth, he shall be surely punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judge is determined. Because there is... A life at stake, a human a being, not a mammal. And if any mischief follow, then thou shall give life for life. The baby has been born prematurely, has gone on to die. Life for life, eye for eye, verse 24, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So you see, when God looks at a woman with child, that's just what he sees, woman with child. Gospel of Luke, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. It says how the babe leaped in her womb, in reference to Elizabeth, of course. And she would say how happy she was to meet the mother of her Lord. Of course, Mary would give birth to the Lord Jesus Christ, second member of the Trinity. But the point is this, Mary was with child. Elizabeth was with child. So just one final time, if you are able to be careful what you say, think about what you say before you say what you say. Strictly speaking, the term fetus is used by Darwinian evolutionists. They don't believe in creation. They believe that man evolved from the slime, and the slime produced animal life, and from animal life became mankind. We don't believe that to this ministry. We hold to a six-day creation, and on the seventh, Almighty God rested. 26. And if a man smite the eye of his servant, or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. So again, going back to last week, the owner of the servant, never once called a slave in the King James Bible, had rights over the servants. God the Father has rights over the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians who are saved are owned by Almighty God. We weren't purchased with silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, so therefore he owns us. That's a term that people use today. He got owned, she got owned, meaning he got humiliated or she was put in her place but when the word of God looks at a Christian, he sees the Christian in the beloved, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. If a man smite the eye of his servants or the eye of his maid, that it perish, loses his or her sight. He shall let him go free for his eyes' sake. So it was down to the master to be careful how he would treat his property. And again, you're either a servant to the saviour if you are saved or you are a servant to the serpents if you are not saved. You either belong to God's family or you belong to the devil's family. And here the servant's owner found throughout this chapter owned his or her servants. But there were rules put in place, legislation to make sure that nobody was overly abused or treated badly. Look at verse 27. And if he smite out his manservant's tooth or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. So if he loses a tooth or an eye due to severe punishment overly chastising him if you think of the New Testament an elder elders specifically are told not to lord their authority over the flock if you are a preacher a teacher a deacon an elder a pastor an overseer a bishop call those people what you will if you are in authority over a local congregation don't lord your authority over them don't get the whip out and beat them down that's what takes place in most Armenian churches and also Calvinist churches as well. But here, you're looking at physical property, whether a man or woman, and if you abuse your own property, like a loss of a tooth or an eye, you are to release your servants. They've suffered loss due to your being too strict, being too severe. Going back to spiritual elders, teachers today, overly enforcing discipline. And I always think of John Calvin over in Geneva uh, getting the whip out literally with people like michael servetus a spanish scholar a very intelligent man who denied the eternal sonship of christ which i may discuss this morning very briefly and as a result of rejecting the eternal sonship of christ he was put to death he was burnt to death on green wood and old calvin wrote letters back and forth or letters went back and forth between servetus and calvin concerning his theology Just for the record, the doctrine of the eternal Sonship of Christ is a Catholic doctrine. It started with Origen back in the 3rd century. Look at verse 28. If an ox go a man or a woman, that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned. And his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. So you have an ox back in the Old Testament. An ox, an oxen, a huge animal which was designed to pull carts or plows like the Ark of the Covenants, back in Second uh, Samuel chapter 6. And here it says, If an ox gore, attack a man or a woman, that they die. If they get their horns into you, you are dead meat, like they say. Then the ox shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten. There's a picture there of an animal killing someone, and as a result the animal is now unclean. But the owner of the ox shall be quit, like exonerated, because he's lost his animal animals back in the ancient world, and even parts of the world today, were their livestock. It's only in the West that we are so spoilt. And again, you go back to the whole slavery subject, people say, I don't like the idea of someone owning someone, it's repulsive. But let's be quite honest, in the last 100 years, we've really come of age, quote unquote, those of us which live in the West. If You went to Europe, say 60 or 70 years ago. In fact, when Americans went to Italy, in 1945, mm. they found people living in caves. Mm. Or when Brits went to uh, Malta in 1944, 1945, people were living in almost cave-like environments. Parts of Europe were like third world. If you think of the Russians that uh, went into Germany, 1944, 1945, most were from Mongolia. Couldn't read or write. Very primitive people. And they were shocked at how happy and uh, comfortable the Germans were, like having indoor toilets fridges, whereas they had no outdoor, they had no indoor toilets, they just went in the yard without being too uh, crude, and they saw the Germans living like kings and queens. If you go back to parts of Eastern Europe, in fact, from the year 2000, 19 years ago, most of the countries that came into the European Union, like Ireland, for example, they were like third world countries. And I was in Southern Ireland back in the 1990s, they were just coming into the EU, they were getting ready to adopt the EU, the Euro They weren't loaded, as they say. Ireland was a third world country, as was Malta and Italy and elsewhere. But the point is this, it's only in the last maybe 40 or 50 years that most people in the West have come of age. And now we are so spoilt. We look down our noses at the concept of slavery. But here an animal that killed a man or woman was to be put to death because, again, going back to 22, 23, 24, 25, mankind is made in the image of God. A child that died as a result of a fight, a child that was born prematurely as a result of a fight, was made in the image of God, not the image of Adam. I know some of our dispensational brethren like to suggest that post-Adam, those that came from Adam's loins, are made in the image of Adam, not God. That is a uh, popular uh, concept, and of course we're getting into semantics. But the loss of the animal, verse 28, was enough. 29, 29. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past and it hath been testified to his owner and he hath not kept him in but that he hath killed a man or a woman the ox shall be stoned and the owner also shall be put to death. So the owner was made aware that his animal was dangerous. In the UK we have a dangerous dogs act and quite simply this if you have a dog which is violent known to attack other animals or people you are minded to muzzle your dog. It's mandatory, and if you don't muzzle your dog, and your dog attacks another dog, you can be prosecuted. And if your dog attacks a person severely, not only would the dog be put down, but you'd be put in prison. And here, this goes back to neglect, willful neglect. You knew your ox was a dangerous ox, and because you didn't deal with your ox, not only would the ox be put to death as a result of killing someone, but so too with the owner. This is the law right down to the letter. 30. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. Whether he have got a son or have got a daughter, according to this judgment shall it be done unto him. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Thirty shekels of silver. Judas Iscariot would sell out the Lord Jesus Christ for thirty shekels of silver. Thirty shekels of silver was a common... Uh, amount of money to purchase a female slave you think of joseph's brethren selling him out to the ishmaelites for i think it was 20 uh, pieces of silver from memory but it's a pittance and here an animal that was to harm a third party the owner was to pay compensation this means to be careful if you own an animal back in the ancient world you were to be careful how you dealt with your animal and again spiritually speaking if you are in authority over people be careful how you Teach and preach. Because Christians can be easily hurt if you preach too hard. Or if you are too hypocritical. Or if you set the bar too high. People can't reach it. And that's been my criticism for 17 years now. When it comes to certain styles of preaching. They elevate Christ up so high. You can't reach him. You can't reach him. If the ox, 32, again, shall push a manservant or a maidservant. Going back to the owner. Not only owning livestock but people he should give unto their master 30 shekels of silver this could also go back to somebody else owning someone else and the ox shall be stoned so the consequences are immense going back to be careful how you deal with your own stock back in the old testament to lose a person back in the old testament for a person to die back in the old testament was bad enough To lose animals was also a double curse. Because for those back in the ancient world this was part of their livelihood. So therefore compensation is built in. And the worst case scenario would be for the owner to be put to death along with his animal. Denoting that God sees life in a sacred sense. It says over in Ezekiel how he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. How he's not willing that any should perish but how all should come to repentance. 33. 33. And if a man shall open a pit, or if a man shall dig a pit, and not cover it, and an ox or an ass fall therein, the owner of the pit shall make it good, and give money unto the owner of them, and the dead beast shall be his. So be careful. You've got to take care with your animals. This is how uh, things are today. If you have a dog, like I say, or a dangerous animal, you have to be careful, because your animal can offend, affect somebody else. And again, you're looking at an animal... Or in the context of verse 33, if a man shall open a pit, or if a man shall dig a pit, if you think of the construction world today, they say, Be careful, men at work, and not cover it, and an ox or an ass fall therein, the owner of the pit shall make it good, and make money, compensation, unto the owner of them, and the dead beast shall be his. He retains the dead animal. Look at 35. And if one man's ox hurt another's, that he die, Then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money of it. And the dead ox also they shall divide. I can think of one particular person who owns two dogs. One is a a pedigree, a very expensive uh, pedigree. Another one is a Mongol. And these uh, two dogs are the apple of his eye. I guess they are the children he never had. When he walks the larger of the two dogs, uh, he has to use extra leads. A harness, they call it, to stop the dog pulling him over and also from attacking another animal. And here's the same sort of a thing. This is common sense, basically. This is basically common sense. But again, 35. And if one man's ox hurts another's, that he die, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money of it. And the dead ox also they shall divide. And if it be known that the ox hath used a push in time past, and his owner hath not kept him in. He shall surely pay ox for ox. And the dead shall be his own. Compensation pure and simple. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we began this three week study looking at slaves. Going into livestock. Picturing a servant who loved his master. And uh, was happy to stay with his master. Because his wife worked for the master. His children were working for the master. And from 1 Corinthians... Chapter 15. To build on a theme of a servant. Or oh, they pierced my hands and my feet. The Lord Jesus Christ was a servant. Of servants. Didn't come to be served. But to serve. Unlike most people today. Who are living very comfortably. But an interesting passage. Which came to me last night. To further reinforce the imagery. Of a true servant. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 28. And when all things shall be subdued unto him. Then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things unto him, that God may be all in all. This is one of the most difficult passages in the entire Bible. Not one of my three commentaries did a satisfactory uh, job explaining this passage. But look at it again. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, God the Father, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto under him that put all things under him that God may be all in all so it goes back to the trinity it goes back to John chapter 1 in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God and quite simply in time Jesus Christ was begotten thou art my son At this day have I begotten thee and from his conception to crucifixion Jesus Christ as the son of God was in submission subjection to his father husbands love your wives as christ love the church you wives be in subjection submission to your husbands if i said this to you well i am in submission or if i said to you i am in uh, i am subject to such and such a person or i am subject to such and such a law you know what i mean i am referring to the fact that i am under someone or something's authority so therefore exodus 21 verses 1 2 3 4 5 and 6 picture a servant owned by his servants, his servant master, and the servant owned by his servant master pictures God the Father, owning God the Son. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And when all things shall be subdued unto him the Father, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him. So in a way that I don't quite understand, Nor does John MacArthur or Peter Ruttman or some of the other great scholars I looked at this morning. In a way that we don't quite understand, and I include myself with those two characters and some other books I looked at this morning. Jesus Christ becomes subject to God the Father. In the person of God the Son, not the Word of God. That God, also the Holy Ghost, may be all in all. Now think about this if you will and I'll sign out. Basically what you've got is Christ being born to serve Jesus Christ is owned by his Father. It pleased the Father to bruise him. As the Son of God, he was begotten in time. As the Word of God, he has always been. And post eternity, the Word of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man come together. But out of that three-part office, the Son of God, according to this, is in subjection, submission to God the Father. And all of your anti-Trinitarians like to quote this piece of scripture, all of your Cult people like to quote this piece of scripture and say that Jesus Christ was, is inferior to God the Father, is somehow a lesser being, like another God. The New World Translation says that the Word was a God. That, of course, is heresy. Jesus Christ is called the Mighty God, back in the book of Isaiah. So be careful when you approach Son of Man, Son of God, and also the Word of God. But basically, I'll say this and sign out that Jesus Christ, as a Son of God does appear to be in subjection, submission to his father. It says over in Philippians chapter 2 that he emptied himself of his deity and took upon him the form of a servant. Philippians chapter 2, I think it's verse 6 for memory. Who being the form of God. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Thought not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Exodus 21. And was made in the likeness of men. Hands, feet, body and soul. Doesn't have an eternal body. Which those that hold to eternal sonship would have you believe. Hebrews chapter 10 says. Thou hast prepared me a body. He gets a body in time. Not before time. Because the word of God. The Holy Ghost. The Father. are spirit. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And being found in fashion as of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So there you are. Christ was a servant, came as a servant, lived and died as a servant, is now seated at the right hand of the Father, makes intercession for those of us which belong to him. But post-eternity, in a way that I don't really understand, and nor does Ruttman or MacArthur, or any of your celebrity Christians, in a way that we don't quite understand, he becomes subject to the Father and the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the Father, return to being just one. God has always been one. Deuteronomy 6:4. here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt worship him, so on and so forth. But however you want to approach this subject, it's a difficult one. And there's a picture there of Christ being permanently subject in submission to his Father, like a servant was in submission to his Master, through love, of course, Exodus 21, 5 and 6, because he loves his Master. The Son of God loves God the Father. God the Father loves the Son of God, and therefore it was agreed within the Trinity that the Word of God would become the Son of God, and the Son of God would be in submission to his Father, like I say. And it does appear, it does appear from that part of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 28, that that submission seems to continue into eternity. We don't quite understand it. You can't be dogmatic about it. But if you read basic english you know what the word subject means i'm subject to my if you are a woman my husband or you are subject to your employer if you are an employee or you are subject to your parents if you are a child going back to if you cast your parents you were put to death if you assaulted your parents you're also put to death from exodus 21 because your parents are representing god almighty and when you sin against your conscience You sin against God as well. So we'll leave it there for now and may return to the subject of slavery and owning animals so and so forth down the line.